The soles of my shoes drumroll the floor. My fingers tap-tap the table. My face aches from too much grinning because finally, finally, the buildup is over and I'm sitting pretty at a conference room table in A-Pod about to say goodbye to this tiny prison in the forest. Admin Pod is way nicer than the resident cottages. There's newish furniture and carpet, some fake flowers in a vase, big windows, some inspirational posters on the wall. But don't get me wrong, it is still Zephyr Woods Youth Detention Center. Still an institutional facility. Lysol smell, beige walls, zappy fluorescent lights, the non-stop muffled sounds of walkie-talkies, the metallic buzzing and clacking of doors locking and unlocking, sobs from the clinic or angry screams from some terrified kid they're dragging in on their first day, a new one who hasn't given up the fight. Prison living, am I right? Well, the reason I'm bouncing in my seat, not giving a flip about prison living, is because this is my re-entry team meeting. That means I am out of here. I am finally leaving this depression factory that has caused me so much loneliness and anxiety. I smile across the conference table at Mrs. Williams, my counselor, and Ms. Duncan, my English teacher. They've been my resource team since I got put in here. And now, they are the core of my re-entry team. They smile right back like they're so proud of me. I turn away and point out the window at the forest, pretending I spot a bald eagle while I swallow the lump in my throat and close my eyes to keep tears from coming. Despite the big effort, a couple drop and slide down my cheek. Mrs. Williams holds out the box of tissues. I yank one and think how far I've come since she and Ms. Duncan watched me rage in here like a freaking hurricane. Truth be told... Even before I came into this place, I was a soda can full of built-up emotional pressure. Getting hauled into Zephyr just intensified it. The humiliation of handcuffs and shackles. The fear of prison kids and prison guards. The fear of life without my best friend Maya. The fear of life without freedom. The realization that I would forever be a convicted felon. It all shook me so hard. I could no longer contain the pressure. I erupted, and my darkness spewed over the land. I screamed, sobbed, begged for my mom. I kicked, flailed. No one would have believed I was capable of that type of nuclear meltdown. I couldn't believe it either. At Zephyr, it was nothing new. They had the protocol down. Two beefy bald guards, snug wraparound jackets, copious drugs, independent reflection time in a padded room. When I finally gave up the fight, Mrs. Williams and Ms. Duncan kicked into gear. I'm happy those two ladies are here to celebrate this moment with me. At the same time, I get a twinge in my gut thinking about the people who can't be here. Two of them, Charlie and Maureen, the volunteer Alcoholics Anonymous chairpersons, are at their day jobs. I ended up in AA because, after speaking with people at Puget High School, the court determined I had an issue with alcohol. I knew the I'm-not-an-alcoholic-I-just-drank-too-much argument wouldn't get me anywhere, so when they said I had to enroll in a sober support class at Zephyr, in my case, AA meetings, 
I just nodded and kept my mouth shut. In AA meetings, Charlie and Maureen dug into the twelve steps. We had to admit that we were powerless over alcohol. We were instructed to make a fearless moral inventory and told we needed to embrace a higher power and to ask our chosen HP to remove our shortcomings. To be honest, that woo-woo stuff wasn't for me. In fact, I was just about to tune Charlie and Maureen all the way out when they started talking about steps eight and nine. These two steps guide you in making things right with the people you hurt because of your dependence on getting drunk. Everyone wants to live their life as a responsible person. Well, being a responsible person means you have to deal with the consequences of your actions, and that means making things right with the people you hurt.